welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast to correctly predict relegation results based on manager names. My name is Carol McDonald, and I've spent the last three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host, Rupert Meadows, has written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sport. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. Um, the season is done and dusted, and not a bad final day it was. With relegation as well as champions and Europa League places all to be decided in the final game week. But before we get into all that, let's round up the games we had left over from game week 37, how they informed standings moving into the final day. That's right, of course, we recorded last week's episode on Tuesday afternoon, and Tuesday evening saw two of the large games um, involving two of the relegation contenders uh, in two of their more difficult fixtures, that being Watford hosting Manchester City and Aston Villa hosting Arsenal. And the games couldn't have gone more differently. Yeah, absolutely right, and I think um, was was the, the first sign of bad things to come for Watford uh, as they lost 4-0 to Pep's bald rage. Yeah, I mean, Watford were the team that, a bit like West Ham, previously were looking like they were the safe ones. They were the two that sort of managed to push themselves free enough. Uh, But even last week, we discussed that Watford's game plan going into their final games might be not even to try and pick up points, but to reduce the amount they lost by, because even if they did lose their games, they still had a healthy amount of goal difference. Um, And, and, you know, Manchester City coming out, as they often do after the back of a bad loss, um, weren't going to let them keep their goal difference to a minimum, uh, scoring four goals. Yeah, I mean, I think we can both agree that Man City's maybe the worst team that you want to see on your uh, fixtures list if you're trying to keep the goals down. Um, and yeah, I mean, Man City kind of have ummed and ahed a little bit uh, since the restart. Had a couple of slower games, but they've been firing on most cylinders uh, for the last few game weeks. And no surprise that saw Watford not get anything from it and concede four. Well, it, it's, you said it's like the team you would least like to see in your schedule. I think there's City kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. If you have City on your schedule list just normally, you might go like, oh, well, maybe we could get a lucky result. But if you see City just after they've had an embarrassing defeat, just give up all hope. Because that, that, they lose to Southampton and then get like two five nils in a row. They it's lost to Arsenal in the FA Cup and just do, that's when they just absolutely turn up full of rage and, and ready to do it. Um, yeah, it's true. It feels... I don't know if this is a sentiment shared by you or by anyone else, but it kind of feels like Liverpool, you have a little bit more control over whether you can beat them. Man City, it kind of just feels like you have to just wait and see what team turns up. Liverpool, I feel like you can you know, beat them through tactics or through grinding down their team, pressing high. City, it's, it's literally just like, a, feels like sometimes they just roll a dice at the beginning or like flip a coin. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed it as a sort of a weakness of theirs, but it can also sort of be a strength, because how do you game plan for City when even they don't know how they're going to play before the (laughs) the whistle is blown, really? Yeah, well, Um, that's true, but I guess the flip side is that, you know, going into a game where you need to get a result, a game that you have little to no control over is like the worst possible scenario. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And of course, City did that today. Um, you know, four four goals. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, of course, got an assist, which teed him up perfectly for the final day uh, with him on 19 assists. Of course, the record is 20 assists, um, which has been held uh, since the 0203 season, I believe it is, by Thierry Henry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, De Bruyne has had his eyes on at least equaling that, if not beating it, and getting an assist in this game put him in great position. But speaking of Henri and Arsenal, they were the other game here, and they played away at Aston Villa. Um, 
<laughs> which is sort of quite a classic Arsenal thing. Last time we spoke about them, they'd just had a week where they'd beaten Liverpool and Man City back-to-back, and here they've gone and played relegation contenders Aston Villa, who have looked one of the weaker sides recently, and they've lost 1-0. Yeah. Could we have seen that coming? Probably. Uh... I think we could have. It's one of those things, you know. It's, it's it, it, our, our Arsenal are just famously inconsistent. And and you mentioned last week, I think, that this is maybe one of the areas they need to improve on. Especially under Arteta, they seem sort of more game ready and mentally ready for these big games, whereas it's sort of a li- little more susceptible to lose these Brightons and these Villa games. Yeah, it's it's the easy points that aren't easy for them, um, which yeah. is good because you know, in in theory, it means that. It just kind of comes down to like, is the quality there? Is the mentality there? And which one's easier to fix? Um, I mean, probably reassuring that Arsenal have the players in the squad to turn up on any given day and beat the likes of City or Liverpool. But yeah, the other side of it is, you know, if it's if it's kind of a, a mental fragility that can be really hard to to get out of the squad. I think that's part of it. I do also think, I mean, you mentioned Arsenal, do they have the players to do it? And I think they do. And I think there was, in this lineup, we saw the omission of quite a few key players. Kieran Tierney didn't start, Granit Xhaka didn't start, Nicola Pepe didn't start. These are sort of three of the players who've been some of the most dangerous, uh, you know, performers in that side of late. And yeah, um, sure. you, I suppose you can understand why that hasn't happened, because the, the schedule has been so rammed recently. Um, and with the FA Cup final on the horizon, which is sort of like Arsenal's potential saving grace this season, Arteta was probably keen to, even though there's a week's break between the final game of the season and the FA Cup, you just massively raise the risk of injuries if everyone's playing week in, week out, week in, week out. Um, So I can see maybe why he rested them, but it definitely did seem to hurt them, especially Kieran Tierney, because with Kieran Tierney, not only do you lose him, but the person who comes in to replace him is Serd Kalasnac, who, I mean, Arsenal managed to get him on a free, and I would say he's been worth every penny they paid. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, is that an insult or is that a compliment? It really could be either. No, no I, don't, I don't think it's either, really. I think Sergei Kolasinac is a certain level of player and, you know, no offence to him or, or you know, it's not even necessarily a bad thing. But that's what happens if you pick up a player for free. Often, you know, why has their contract been able to run down in the first place? Why has there not been more of a battle to keep him at that club? Um, you know, obviously there, there are exceptions, but a lot of the time... Sure. You get someone for, for for a cut price, you kind of got to ask yourself, well, why have I been able to do that? Um, yeah, you know, and it feels like for some somehow all of the exceptions always fall to Juventus and, and no one else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Only they're able to be like, oh, we managed to get Arturo Vidal on a free. Unbelievable. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. From, from Villa, I mean, we can talk about how Arsenal was sort of lacklustre, but you've got to give credit to Villa. I mean, they mounted a spectacular effort. Um, you know, Trezeguet, who's been leading the charge in this resurgence for them, pounced on a loose ball, and they got the lead very early on. It wasn't like they stole it at the death. They got the lead early on, and they managed to just keep Arsenal out of the game. And I think Arsenal had a shot on target that game. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you put a team like that in, in a, that can fight in a corner, and you give them a lead, and they are just never going to let that go. Um, yeah, not, which is impressive though. That's no small feat, well. you know. Yeah, I, I think sometimes it's... we can look at that and go, "Well, you know, they're fighting for it," but it, it, that's not that's not a given, as we've seen from, for example, Watford. Um, oh, absolutely or, 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 or not a given. They fought to stay up and they earned it. Mm, absolutely. Uh, in um, this game, not to give spoilers <laughs> away. Then we moved over to uh, the Wednesday games. Uh, Man United played West Ham, which is a 1-1 draw. 
Again, you know, it's maybe a little bit of the tail end of that resolve from West Ham. They're almost, they're pretty much all but safe, even leading into this game week. But getting a valuable point here just helps increase that buffer. Um, and away to sure. United, who have been the form team since the restart. Again, it's no small feat and could maybe sort of show what they're sort of hoping to build towards next season and maybe not be in such hot water this time next season. Yeah, I mean, West Ham will definitely uh, hope to... I, th- I think they, you know, could really benefit from a couple of good signings um, to just keep their momentum rolling. And, and if they can get a good start to next season, I think they'll have a much better time. Um, I mean, I think they, they have. We've already uh, we've discussed this recently. It's like, why were they even in danger of going down in the first place? They've got a lot of quality players there, and maybe they're let down in other areas. But, you know, Declan Rice is linked to every top team every summer for a good reason. Jared Byrne and Thomas Suchek have, have both been quality since coming in. Antonio's a little bit inconsistent, maybe, but when he gets all things going, he, he's, he's a top player. Um, so maybe this is sort of them finding that identity, and they can hope to, to build on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, um but United, on the other hand, I mean, it was a point. It was a, a good point for West Ham, but maybe not as valuable as the two points that United dropped, um, because obviously they're still in that mini table with Chelsea and Leicester. Um, and, yeah. and who's going to be taking those two Champions League qualification spaces? Yeah, they had a real chance to to get a leg up over the other two teams and and failed to take it. And you know, they in the last four or five games, they've they've kind of been held by slightly smaller teams a few times. Uh, and to kind of, it feels a little bit like the the kickback from their run of form and from their tactics, and it feels like teams are maybe starting to work out a little bit of how to break down the midfield. Um, Do you think it's that, or, or, or is it the fact that? Well, we, oh, sorry, we talked sorry. about last week, kind of um, the the, fra- the the fragility of like Paul Pogba picking it up from deep and getting dispossessed early, and mm-hmm. if you can break them up at that point in their game you can really disrupt their momentum um i think they're i a think great it's definitely partly that they can play fast they're a great attacking team when it's fluid it's moving through fernandez it's spreading out to the wingers and strikers that's great but if if a team presses high and, and brings a fight to them i don't think they are equipped yet tactically to respond yeah, I mean, again, another thing we've gone over quite a few times, but they do just seem like a bit of a one-trick pony. And Fernandez seems like he's a bit tired at this point. So without him sort of lifting them on his back and, and carrying them to the finish line, obviously you've got individual brilliance here and there from Marshall and Greenwood, but it's all brought together by Fernandez, and he's sort of the guy that's, that's been able to to make them tick at a level that we haven't really seen post-Ferguson. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, I think it's... It's, it's hard to distinguish whether or not it's just a really good run of form or if he is like a, a really exceptional world-class player. And I've seen kind of comparisons between him and Kevin De Bruyne. And for me, there is still such a gulf in class between those two players. But he's doing everything. Yeah, I mean, right. it, 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 it's always the way, isn't it? It's like someone does really well for 12 games and loads of fans of that team typically tend to get really overexcited. And it's like, that's great. But can you keep it up for a whole season? Possibly. But that's the that's the litmus test because having ten or twelve great games is fantastic. But season's thirty eight. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's still all a little bit up in the air for Man Man U, despite having come third. Uh, you know, it's it's really been not underwhelming season for kind of three to six uh, place teams. Or six to three. Six to three. Like I think that if you look at the the Premier League table last year, for example, it's ten points ahead. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Man U would be finishing sixth or seventh 
in last season's table if, if yeah. they got the same points tally. So, you know, can they do it next season? We'll see. Well, they're certainly going to gonna try. Um, they've got a manager, hopefully, that has more stability than they've had in recent years. And mm. yeah. And, and, and we'll talk about this uh, when we get into the final day, but certainly they're looking to make some interesting additions um, to that squad as, as they want. But before we get into that, let's finish off game week 37 with. Uh, just an absolutely game. <laughs> crazy game. And I think we both agreed <laughs> during setting the score last week that this was going to be one of those really amazing games, but not a very high-scoring one. Uh, I can't remember if that was you, but I definitely remember waxing lyrical about how this was going to be like the the true fans game of football that ended 1-1, but it was like a real technical game. And, and, and instead, we got well, an eight-goal like thriller. And game just... that like Gary Neville talks about on Match of the Day, and you go, oh, I guess it was interesting. And then you tell your friends that like, you thought it was a great game. Just um, copy and paste what he said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. I definitely thought that... I thought Liverpool were going were gonna to come out all guns blazing um, because of the history of like the rivalry of the last kind of five five years mm-hmm. between the two teams, but I did not expect an eagle thriller. Yeah, well, I mean, they and they did come out, you know, all guns blazing. They were 3-0 up early on. I think it was 42nd or 43rd minute was when they got that, that third goal. Um, yeah, and just world class goals as well. Unbelievable finishes. Like Trent's fin- um, free kick, uh, that absolute rocket from um, the team in Yarnham. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, no, were, I mean, they were ready. Alexander Arnold on free kicks. I mean, honestly, we've probably talked about England to death, but if he's not on free kicks for England, I'd Gareth Southgate should get the sack. No, he's, he's, he's an exceptional player. He just plays them so well. But but yeah, I mean, it was sort of a an interesting game because Chelsea then went 3-0 down, which at most points you sort of go 3-0 down to Liverpool, that's probably us. But a, a Giroud goal during that enormous period of added time, I think it was like 10 minutes in the first half, the longest I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Then, uh, so sort of, sort of brought, brought the hope back. And then Firmino got his sort of, I think that was his first league goal at Anfield this season. I might be it wrong about that. his first league goal at Anfield this season. Which is weird to think. I mean, I th- obviously he's still a very important player and a, and a good player as well, but just a weird one, for weird stat to bring out there. But but added his fourth, um, and, and so you thought maybe it would have then been shut down. But then th- this thing happened again that we've talked about with Lampard a few times. He brought on a hat trick of subs. Three different players came on in the 60th minute or 59th, 60th minute, and yeah. all three of them had impact. Um, you know, Pulisic obviously was was the main one. He got a goal and assist inside 15 minutes of being on the pitch. Um, uh, Tammy Abraham scored a goal as well Hudson Odoi got the assist for the Abraham goal um, which is again like how do you view that do you think that that's Lampard really astutely looking at what the game needs and bringing on the right subs or is it a bit of a mistake to leave certainly Pulisic but maybe the other two as well out of the starting 11 I think that Abraham would have suited this game maybe a little better than Giroud did despite the impact that he had on the game I think, mm-hmm. yeah, Pulisic has been in great form, but he also had a little knock, so it's... Well, unlike Arsenal, Chelsea me, have got the FA Cup final to think about. Because, yeah, exactly. Part of me wants to criticise Lampard because it does seem like a consistent trend, and I'm always a little bit wary, as we've talked about, of uh, praising blindly like the subs without recognising that they probably should have been starting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think... I think the one thing that I would point to is that this feels like a different Chelsea mentality to what we've seen in the last few years. Um, I'm thinking like when they lost 6-0 to Man City, when they lost 4-0 yeah. to Bournemouth, and their heads just dropped. 
Um, yeah, certainly they've, they've got a bit more fight back. And whether or not that's Lampard's substitutions or whether it's not, it's like the fire that he's put into that dressing room. They fought back. Yes, they didn't get anything from it, but to score, to bring it back to 4-3, have a really close game and then for you know, Liverpool to, to score the fifth just from a breakaway, I think it was a much closer game for large parts of it than, than that score would suggest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to think if you were the kind of you know, pessimistic Chelsea fan who would turn off at 3-0, you'd be really pleasantly surprised to then watch match of the day later and see, see what the final score actually was. Because um, I think, yeah, like despite the fact that the Ox then finished that game off and Liverpool did end up winning, um, it, it was a really good display of, of resolve and, and fight from Chelsea to even respond to the game at 3-0 down. Sure was, but no points gained. No points gained. Uh, speaking of points gained, shall we do a quick roundup of those four games uh, versus our predictions on setting the score? Yeah, let's do it. So, kicking us off with Watford City, I had 3-0 City. I went 3-1 to City. So, I'll take my points I there, just, to, just the one. I going to have a little bit more fight in the tank. Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you where you did get it right. I'm pretty confident you got this. I think you predicted a Villa win here. I did predict a Villa win, yeah. I called it as um, 1-0. No, I called it as 2-1, and it ended 1-0. 2-1, and I um, got a 2-0 Arsenal, so a point there for you. Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought that Villa were going to have the resolve to to get points in these last few games, and I didn't think it's, they were going to go down without a fight. It sounds really obvious to say, but as soon as... It, I mean, you and I had spoken um, <laughs> ourselves about it after the game, but as soon as it had happened, it was so obvious that it would happen, if you know what I mean. As in watching the, the like Villa beat Arsenal, like, well, of course, Villa are beating Arsenal right now. Like, yeah, absolutely. I was Arsenal. sort of entranced by Arsenal's form with, with Liverpool and City, and I think you were sort of being more realistic, and you were like, it is Arsenal, mate. Like, they're going to have a good week, and they're immediately going to throw it all away. <laughs> well, it was that, and it was also kind of looking at Villa and, and thinking that, you know, they have enough backbone. Um, That's true, I, but I, I, I can't that... help but feel that if it had been Villa-Chelsea or Villa-United, it would have been a different story. Whereas Arsenal and to, to a lesser degree Spurs just loved like dropping those clangers, yeah, <laughs> like no, having right. good runs of form and then just having their pants pulled down. Um, well, I mean, I think um, Villa Chelsea was only a couple of weeks ago, and Villa went one 0 up, and then Chelsea won two one. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. Chelsea did did have to fight quite hard for that. But um, United West Ham was one one. What did you have for it? I had three one to United. I had two one to United. So I'll take. Did you? Oh yeah. Gosh, I, I really thought you were you were going to predict a clean sheet for Man U. <laughs> I, I, I went against the grain. I thought West Ham were going to score just because of those. Uh, I think last week was when we were discussing the fact that West Ham have scored more goals since the restart than anyone but the Manchester teams. And based on that, I was like, eh, I can see them scoring. David De Gea has just had a bad week as well. So, um, um, yeah, fair enough. And then Liverpool Chelsea. I, I mean, I went for my 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 poetic, you know, the thinking man's one one. I went two one. <laughs> I so went two one to Liverpool. I thought Liverpool were going to win, but I I think um, I thought it was going to be closer than it. <laughs> take, well, take your point. That's two two off the first four games. Take uh, and point. before we go into the. Game week 38. Also, actually, just quickly while we're on settling the score roundups, um, last week Rupert and I did draw on settling the score, and I did mention a fail safe that we had. It was sort of like a goal difference uh, thing to work it out. So basically, we would to decide who had been closer in terms of goals predicted. 
Incidentally, we both draw on that as well. So it's, what I we mean, do- I, I, it feels either really unlikely that that happened, or actually quite likely based on how it works. Um, I don't think so. I think because if someone, yeah, we, we we could, for example, with like the city game, if we both gone like one nil and nil nil, it'd be three goals and four goals. It just means that we were guessing, I guess, True. fairly close together. Um, but anyway, as a result. Um, we decided to just call that one a draw, and the score still stands at 2-1 to Rupert, meaning that this one could tie us up moving into the final setting of the score, which is predicting the FA Cup final. Um, Good luck to you, Cameron. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. But before we get into that, we are going to go into our useless trivia segment. Um, I do also want to mention that the hat-trick of Nigel's from last week's <laughs> useless trivia did come true. <laughs> it did indeed, and, and you know, you, you mentioned it in the introduction, and I'm kind of hoping that this wasn't just a, a hollow one-off brag and that you will also be predicting next season's relegation. Well, if any, if any Nigels come into the Premier League, then uh, I know it's not going to be good for them. But this week's... Are, are you a bit uh, of a one-trick trivia. pony? Is it that one? Is, it's just Nigel. Only if your manager is called Nigel it. something, exactly. Yeah. Um, would you like to start us off? Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, this week, it's quite a fun little stat um, in honour of... Uh, David Moyes' West Ham, um, mm-hmm. in 1994-95 to 95 season, while playing at West Ham, David Moyes played with David Beckham, which hmm. is a pairing that one does not always think of. God, no, you, if, if, you, if you asked, I mean, David Beckham's one of those guys who always seems younger than he actually is, but you would happily say that David Moyes was his dad, if not granddad. Yeah, exactly. So um, David Beckham uh, had a season on loan from Man U at Preston mm-hmm. then. That's where the the two met in League Three. Good Lord! Well, wow. that's a, a a real a real meeting of the stars. Um, exactly. For mine, among men, I've got um, a little bit of trivia here about two of the um, longest named teams in in the Premier League. Um, and that is, of course, Brighton and Hove Albion and Wolverhampton Wanderers. When these two play each other, it's the fixture with the most characters in it in all of top flight history, with forty three characters. This like season, any, oh, is this just the UK or is this any in in, in the Premier League? I'm sure that NAC Breda um, would have would have had them uh, beaten. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Br- Brighton and Hove Albion versus Wolverhampton Wanderers is the fixture with the most characters in it, as in letters in the in the names and top of history. This wow. season, in go. the initial fixture at the Amex Stadium, there were 43 touches in the penalty area between the starting 11s of each side in the game, and then the reverse fixture at the Molineux, the Wolves commanded 43 percent of the possession. You could not make it up, could you? Football scripted. Football scripted. I've been saying it for years. They decided to honour the 43 characters with 43 touches together in the Premier League, in the penalty area, and then 43% of the possession. It's a nod that most people might have missed, but you, Cameron, uh, snapped it up. Ca- caught it. Um, there you go. So, moving into the final day of the season, um, obviously it's always really good to have the games matter on the final day of the season. We were talking about how West Ham Villa, we were really hoping was going to be one that mattered. Um, I mean, obviously the peak example in recent memory has got to be the classic Balotelli, Aguero! But um, oh, any I'm results... So gutted, Cam. I turned the TV off after QPR scored. <laughs> I still but any results um, that are settled on the final day always injects like an extra bit of tension because of course all the games are played simultaneously. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
So it is always nice when you sort of have that that tension of sort of one team, especially when the the games are added, like have different lengths. So one game is finished in the 91st minute and they're sort of all standing around on the pitch waiting for the news of whether, you know, such and such team has conceded in the 94th or they've kept it that way. Um, yeah. So, so fortunately for that, you know, this season we went into game week 38 with Champions League qualification was sort of still being battled out. Europa League qualification was still a little mini table. And um, the relegation results, of course, um, all of the teams involved put in admirable shifts on the final day. Um, so Absolutely. moving into relegation... It, it was, as they say, all to play for. It really was. Um, moving into the first of those um, relegation teams, Arsenal and Watford, uh, 3-2. Yeah, and a um, bit of an end-to-end one. I think, um, you know, Watford fought well, but ultimately came up short, which I think is a is a fairly uh, accurate depiction of their season as a whole. You know, they had some good results, um, probably most famously beating uh, Liverpool um, mm. to break their unbeaten run, um, but didn't, you know, weren't able to, to take it over the line. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give them, again, credit for coming. They were 3-0 down very early on. Um, and they did manage to dig deep and get two goals back. It was largely due to traditional sort of like David Luiz, David Luizing. Um, you know, he conceded yet another penalty. He now has the record for penalties conceded in the Premier League season with five. Um, yeah, it's in his contract. He's got a quote to fill. That's... He, he, he really does. I mean, he's conceded more penalties in one season for Arsenal than he did in seven for Chelsea. Like Chelsea put in like invisible ink at the bottom of his new contract. <laughs> you must lose this many games for. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and, and the second goal, you know, Danny Welbeck turned up to score against his old club, and again, it was sort of taking advantage of David Luiz not watching the runner and and, and Poto with quite a neat striker's finish. Um, sure. But I thought this game was it was Arsenal's season in a nutshell, really, really promising going forwards. Aubameyang obviously was the star with two goals, and one of them was an overhead kick that was really really good quality um but then also you know Nicola Pepe looked great setting up the um the sort of the pre-assist for the second goal Kieran Tierney scored that second goal and, and and looked really good he's been just an absolute revelation since he's sort of had a bit less of an more, more of a consistent run without injury um yeah. has, has looked good given the chance um and then as well the keeper obviously this time uh, Emmy Martinez instead of Bert Leno having to pull off a series of really good saves to keep them in it I mean Watford he's maybe will will feel unlucky. Um, yeah, no, he is looking good. And it's difficult for Arsenal, I imagine, because they have got that you know, that old conundrum of having two keepers that'll both want to be in the first team. Um, sure. And if Arsenal fail to win the FA Cup, they won't even have the opportunity to placate one of them with you know being the cup keeper. Otherwise, it'll just be you know, playing in next season's FA Cup and Carabao Cup, which isn't really what you want, especially if you're a keeper of either of their qualities. Yeah, good point. Um, which of those two do you think has the upper hand at the moment? Which of those two would you say is is the better of the two? I think it's difficult to say just well. So I, I have an answer that might be a little bit controversial, but like, I think it's like you and I were just talking about Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne. I think Emi Martinez has been better in his run than Bert Leno probably has been over the course of the season. But I do think that firstly, it's only been a short run for Emi Martinez, and you know we'll see how he does over over a longer period of time. And secondly, he has been the beneficiary of only playing under Arteta, whereas Bernd Leno, across this season, I think has been one of 
the few things that have stopped Arsenal from being in even more hot water. A lot of the time when they've had sort of David Luiz and Mustafi running into each other, it's only been because Bernd Leno has been able to sort of make the odd save and, and, and control his, his, his general area that they haven't lost some games that they've drawn or they've only lost some games by certain amounts and, and certainly some games that they've won have been because he's sort of kept them out. So, so I would say Leno for the time being, but I'm sure Arteta's decision will be informed by um, how things go in pre-season as well. Yeah, for sure. I think um, definitely I personally have fallen into the the trap of thinking that Martinez is like a young, exciting goalkeeper. And yeah, no, he's 27. He's 27 and he's been at Arsenal for eight years, um, mm. spending like seven of those on loan until this one. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think Leno is more of a top flight keeper. I think Leno has the legs to, to stay at, at a big club and, and be the starter. Whereas... If Martinez is happy to stay, I think that's a great second keeper to have for Arsenal. But as you said, he may be looking for, for something a little more. Yeah, he's, he's 27. He's probably going to want to kick onto a first-team spot. It doesn't, you know, what's also going to be on his mind is he's Argentinian. Um, and Argentina, the national team, have had sort of keeper issues for five, six years. So he's going to be thinking, if I can play consistent club football, I'll be able to play for my country as well. That could take off. It could snowball. So, you know, if he's putting in an impressive performance like this at 27... I'm sure that his agent will be in his ear, and I'm sure that his you know friends and family will be in his ear, going, "Do you really want to go back to the bench, or do you want to kick on with your career off the back of this?" Yeah, it's a fair point. You know, he's um, he should have a good eight, ten years left in his career, and I agree, it's go time. Yeah. Potentially. Um, but Watford, I mean, they're in a dangerous situation with this game wrapping up. They could still stay up, but they would need Villa and Bournemouth to both lose that, both lose their games, and, and quite heavily so to take them out. And Bournemouth. Yeah. Did anything but lose their game heavily. They uh, beat Everton away 3-1. They did indeed. Um, and yeah, we talked a little bit about Everton kind of um, being a little bit up and down and, and not not being a consistent uh, performer either. But um, yeah, Bournemouth came into the game looking to fight and, and they got three points and they did everything that they could to, to stay up. For me, it was it was one of those things that I saw this result and I kind of wanted to. I was sort of watching several games at a time, and so it kept popping up every time they scored. But um, it, it was one of those games I just wanted to shake the players afterwards because I sort of watched the highlights and they did. They looked really, really good, and and you know, like they were fighting for it, and they they, they gave it a lot of effort. But I just, you just want to shake them up. If you have this in your locker, why does it only come out once every six, seven weeks? You know, they're the only team since the restart to actually lose to Crystal Palace, which is, you know, the, the damning indictment at the moment. And the whole imp- you know, performance, well, it was impressive. And like you said, it was sort of, you know, they were fighting to stay up, but it's too little too late. You can't start the fight on game week 38. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's a strange one because I think that Bournemouth and Watford share something in common, which is that, in my mind at least, I, I don't think of them as, as clubs that should be getting relegated. Um, I think that a lot of their players flatter to deceive at times um, and, and don't pull through week in, week out. And as, as we see, like they can put in a great performance on a game week, but they're not consistent uh, yeah. match winners. They well, well that's, that's the, the thing. Output. So it was just a bit of a shame because they showed at the death, there was sort of like maybe their last cry saying, we deserve to be in the league, but you've got to back that up with the other 37 attempts. Um on the other hand, uh, the other game, it was ultimately the villains who emerged the victor of the relegation battle, albeit with a draw at the London Stadium. 
Yeah, personally, I think just for the um, the poeticism of it, it's a shame that they didn't get the three points because um, you know they they performed really well. They got the goal, um, held out well, and then conceded what was one of the more bizarre goals of the the season. Um, the Yarmolenko strike that just took a huge deflection and looped oh so like horrifyingly slowly for Villa fans. Um, yeah. and landed in the back of the net, uh, and and they must have been dreading. Um, kind of the results from the other games after that, but well, um, the, the, that it was it was such a nail bite to that game because it was nil nil until about the eighty fourth minute, and and Jack Grealish sort of popped up, and you thought that's it, they've absolutely confirmed it, and then as you say, there was that massive deflection, it went in. Villa were like, oh god, as I say, as I say, have we been sent down by that of all things? It's a real um, gut punch, yeah, and it, it it was um a gut punch um watching it, uh, you know, obviously um. I predicted a Villa win, so I was willing them on for that. But also, you know, it's they've been a fun team to watch this season. I, I enjoy quite a few of their players, and I was definitely willing them to, to get the points. Um, well, they've, they've definitely been the sort of... I mean, coming into the uh, restart, just the, the table um, post-lockdown, they were uh, second bottom. They were just a few... They were four points above Villa. Yeah, they were 25 points, and, and um, Norwich were on 21. So they were sort of the the sort of crown prince to Norwich sort of king of relegation um absolutely and and they've shown a lot of form to win some games that that you wouldn't have expected to get some valuable points here and there and even in games when they've lost like for example the Chelsea game shown a lot of pluck um that I think has endeared them to a lot of neutrals me certainly definitely um you know it's as you said they they fought harder than the other teams and, and they deserve to stay up as a result just for um, just just quickly on those, you mentioned your uh, your predictions. What did you have for the Arsenal Watford game? We'll start with. I predicted one one, uh, which oh. I mean it was an end to end game, but it was a little more goal heavy than that. I predicted two nil. Uh, you predicted two nil. So does that mean that that is a draw? Let's see. Yep, that means that's a draw. Uh, Everton Bournemouth. Everton Bournemouth. I actually predicted two one to Bournemouth. Oh, agonisingly close. I thought this was going to be a stale nil nil, but uh, Bournemouth did end up showing that fight. So point you there. I remember you saying, "Yeah, God damn it, Bournemouth. Why do you have to score a third? <laughs> and West Ham Villa. I, I actually know that we both got this wrong, so we went for reverse predictions here. West Ham Villa. I had two on Villa, and you had. Did you have two on uh, West two Ham? On, two on West Ham. Yeah. Um, there you go. So no points. Li- a little game there. So just looking at the three teams that were relegated based off this, Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich have gone down. Do you think it's the right three teams to have been relegated? I know you just mentioned that you didn't really see Watford or Bournemouth as, as sides that deserved, but would you say that based on the season it's the right three teams or have some teams sort of had a lucky escape or has, you know, form maybe participated in part of that? Well, I mean, I, I don't think form comes into the conversation about whether or not the right team got relegated, I would only really accept injuries as like a valid reason for a club underperforming. If they're not well, playing, they're yeah, not yeah, well. yes and no. I mean, for if me, like I look bad, at West Ham's squad. Yeah, no, I know if they have, the, but, but the way I mean that is if I look at like, for example, West Ham's squad who looked like they'd gone down, if they had gone down, it would have been a real question mark for me, which whereas sort of Norwich more so, I was, I was like, yeah. You can see why that happened. I mean, I, I get that if you lose the games, you deserve to, but um, j- just in terms of that, so so you would say the right three did get relegated then? 
I guess it, it completely depends on your perspective. I think that based on the seasons that they've had, I think that Watford and Bournemouth deserve to get relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, and Norwich, obviously. But I would also agree that Villa absolutely flew by the seat of their pants and on any given like season could absolutely have deserved to, to be relegated. And West Ham, just because they performed so low, so like far below expectations and, and the squad that they had, like, you almost feel like they deserve to get relegated and, and have their squad picked apart. Um, yeah, well, that's what, that's what, it was so close. It's not like one of those things where there was a definitive bottom three. Had a couple of lucky results gone the other way or a few decisions, we could be looking at a completely different bottom three. Yeah, it's so. true. Um, it's very true. And, uh, you know, uh, Villa missed a good few chances. Uh, like during the early stages of the game, I remember Grealish had a great chance that he missed. And I, I did wonder, you know, it's fine margins and is that going to be it? And, and it could well have been it, but. I definitely think that Villa, since the restart, have shown more determination. Than the well, Bour- Bour- Bournemouth, the other one. I mean, we sort of joked about a couple of weeks ago, if, if Harry Wilson spent a few more minutes on the pitch practicing his chips, maybe he would have chipped Hugo Lloris and, and they would have beaten Spurs, which would have kept them up. Um, well, so, yeah. these, so, these things. Speaking of um, Harry Wilson and players like that, do you think, um, or sorry, but before that, do, do we think that any of those teams are going to bounce back next season? Or is it going to be a long stay down in the Championship? I, I've lost a little bit of faith in Daniel Fard, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's lost and, faith in himself. Yeah, um, I think he could well lose a couple of players, and I don't see him bouncing back. I don't see mm-hmm. them bouncing back at the club. We've talked before about kind of them not necessarily having the grit to stay up, and yeah, I, I don't think that they have the the mentality to recover immediately I think they might have a good kind of back end of next season but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start slowly well it can um, be difficult after just being hammered for so long to then go into a new league and sort of be like well, oh, exactly. ah. your everyone's watched you get bullied away. so yeah uh, well exactly like you're like bleeding all over the place um, no one no one in the championship is going to feed you massively if you think the Premier League is, a, is like a shark infested tank then like you do not watch enough championship because that place is brutal Oh yeah, um, I think that Watford, if they'd kept their manager, I would have said yes, they could bounce back. They have some great players, um, but there's just this era of uncertainty around them. Yeah, I mean it's impossible to say until they do figure out that that next person to lead, and he's going to be coming in with a very difficult job of a you know trying to get out of the championship, which is sort of famously touted as the most difficult thing to do in football. Um, and also sort of keep the squad together, install, instill his new identity when everyone's sort of like headless chickens over there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I think Watford difficult. Bournemouth, do you think they have any chance of bouncing back? I think of the three of them, Bournemouth are the most likely. Um, I think Eddie Howe has the charisma and the dynamism to, yeah, I think to bounce back. Um, I think they, they, they'll need to shake off kind of the, the rust and, and the shadow of Ryan Fraser. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think they could do it. That, I think that it'll depend be, that would a lot. Be my, my choice of the three. I, I, I would agree with that, I think. But I think it depends, obviously, on which squads are able to keep which players. And, and just moving into that, do you think there are any players from these squads that might move to a new club or have earned a move and, and might stay in the Prem? Yeah, there are a couple. I've got... I've, I've 
I had a good look at their squads and I picked one from each squad that I think has a strong chance of, of staying mm-hmm. in the Prem. Um, I, do you have a, a couple that you want to talk about as well? Do you want to do one on one or? Yeah, no, I've 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 got a couple. Uh, I've got a couple on the top of my head um, that I was thinking about earlier, but I've, you've you've listed a few of the same ones um, as I have. I think obviously because there's uh, slim pickings at some of these squads. But uh, should, we, sure. should we just go through Nathan Ake? Um, has been fairly impressive and an unimpressive Bournemouth side this season. Yeah, I mean he's been a consistent performer since he left Chelsea um, and when he was on loan from Chelsea. Yeah. And he's already, of course, linked to Manchester City. I mean, the rumours are that he's linked with a £35 million move there. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me. I mean, he signed for Bournemouth for £20 million, I want to say. Um, and I, I don't think that he has... I think, I think he's earned that money. I think he's shown that he is worth at least £20 million, if not a lot more. Um, and I could see him fitting in well at City. I could see him fitting in well at Chelsea, going back. I could even see, weirdly, like... Him forming quite a nice partnership with Virgil van Dijk at Liverpool. Um, well, he's got the qualities that you would want in a centre back, doesn't he? He's about six foot four. He's still quite young. He's got a good bit of pace on him. Those are the things that you look for in a centre back. He's, he's, you know, physically imposing. You wouldn't well, Nathan be too Ake. worried. Nathan Ake. He's not six foot four. He's mm. like five foot eleven. Am I crazy? I'm really sure he's a he's a he's a tall man. He's five eleven. He's five eleven. No? Five eleven. Small man. My bad. Must have been. Must have been just something about Bournemouth defenders. I was just thinking he's he's a hulking fella, but but um. No, I mean it's it's easy to think that because he he gets up a lot um and scores goals um I think he scored four or five each season um for the last few years, but no, he's he's not a massively imposing presence, but he's he's really intelligent. He oh, I just I thought he had a massive aerial threat, so it must be his jumping has made me think he's. I wasn't looking at his where his feet were when I was looking at those pictures. No, he's one of those centre backs. He's a little bit of a fox in the box that, like, they just seem to end up like in the scrap or like heads in the right place kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I could, I could see him at even like an Everton or a Crystal Palace. I think both of those. Yeah, teams no, would no, really certainly to pick him up. Um, which is not to say that he belongs at that level. I think he could play at a level. Yeah, and then some. Some of the other ones that that look exciting. Um, Abdullah Dekore, obviously Watford is. Um, maybe had a little bit of a weaker season this year than he has previously, but I remember watching him, certainly the season before this one, and there were quite a few different games where he just looked like the quintessential midfield destroyer that any Premier League team can benefit from. Oh, absolutely. I'd agree with that. I think I think he's proven Premier League talent. I think he should stay up. I think that, you know, Watford will do really well to keep him, but I would be very surprised if they managed to, because yeah. I think... He can fit into pretty much any squad and improve the depth or fit into the starting lineup of, of a, probably 10 to 12 teams. Yeah, no, definitely he can. And I think he, again, is someone who may be nurtured at the right place, could become even better and, and stronger and be one of those players that does make that, that step up quite well. Yeah, um, definitely. I kind of um, The two clubs that I thought could do quite well to sign him, uh, I, I initially thought that his best position is playing as part of a flat two uh, mm-hmm. in midfield. But I actually think that looking at the teams um, that might want him, the two that jumped out were West Ham and Arsenal. 
Yeah, I think he could work really, really well in either a midfield three or sort of like that midfield four that some of those teams play with, with fullbacks, because he, he can sort of sit backwards. He also has a decent amount of quality on the ball, so you wouldn't be worried about partnering him with like another more defensive midfielder. For um, sure. Yeah, I think he could work in, in either of those as well as in a, in a flat two. Um, let's discuss one more before we get into the next games. Is obviously we could sit here all day and discuss um, promising talents from the bottom clubs. We've got other games to get on to. Uh, who, who would you like to chat about? Um, Aaron's. Uh, Max Aaron's. Yeah, I think so. I think um, Norwich's right back is um, a really exciting player. One of the most exciting young English players. Despite you know, it's easy to forget about him in terms of like the England conversation because there are so many goddamn. English right backs at the moment that look yeah. exciting, but he's a Our great cup player. runneth over. He's a great, great player, and I actually think that um, I picked out two clubs that I thought he could go to, and I think they'd both be, do really well to pick him up. Um, mm-hmm. One's Sheffield. Okay. Uh, I think I think he'd be an immediate improvement on their right wing back position. Um, okay. And I think that's exactly the kind of sign that Sheffield need to make in order to maintain their position in the top half of the table. If they and want just rejuvenate themselves moving forwards a little bit, like 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 we discussed, because in terms of yeah. just defensive defenders, they've got that completely on lock, but maybe a, a little bit more of an exciting fullback who's got a bit of pace, got a good cross on him, could help sort of re, 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 revitalise that front line. Absolutely, and he's also got enough defensive nows to kind of, I think, fit into Sheffield's uh, slightly more idiosyncratic um, kind of, defensive offence that we've talked about before um, mm-hmm. kind of centre-backs joining the attack and things like that I think he, he can slot in well because he's intelligent enough um, the yeah. other team is actually Leicester I think Leicester could be a really good um, destination for him and I think Mark Albrighton's 30 and he's not he's not a top four player sorry yeah no, yeah, I, I could see both those moves actually and Leicester definitely could would benefit well from a, a pair of fresh legs someone who does have like a lot of potential to, to build on and who maybe would benefit more from going to a side like Leicester than one of the traditional top teams yeah absolutely um, and I think you know all of the other players that are exciting don't quite fit the bill um, looking at like Todd Cantwell Jamal Lewis um, hmm. Wendia Ismaili Saar um, yeah, I think Sara of those four is the most exciting, but I think actually Watford will be trying the hardest to keep him because he's really important to their attack. Yeah, um, I mean he'll be then, one of the few things to help get them out of the championship if they have any chance of doing that, won't he? Absolutely, yeah. But the uh, like the rogue conversation, like the free agent, is Ryan Fraser. Does he count? Is he part of that conversation? I mean, he's a yeah. He doesn't play for Bournemouth anymore, but I think yeah, he's sure, well, well, quality. <laughs> But, you know, he's obviously shown that his, his mentality is quite as good as it could be. Yeah, which can sometimes, those can be like the hallmarks of someone that ends up being a bit of a luxury player. You know, look, it, think, think of a certain German sitting somewhere in his flat in North London playing Fortnite. <laughs> it, it does sour the water a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if he joined um, a team like Crystal Palace or 
Yeah, I could see that. Um, moving into some of the uh, other games we had wrapping up with relegation done. Um, looking at the other end of the table, Man City and Liverpool secured confident results to finish out the season. Um, Liverpool fielded some youngsters that we might see some more of in the future. Obviously, the ultimate scouser, Curtis Jones and Neko Williams, um, as well as Takumi Minamino. Um, but I, what I really liked about this game, though, I, I sort of smirked when the game started, was that it was Dwight Gale who opened the scoring in this game. Um, yeah. And of course, Dwight Gale was the, was the brace scorer in the 2013-14 game uh, against Liverpool when, when Palace came from 3-0 down to go 3-3 and ended Liverpool's title hopes. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the famed one that everyone remembers is that Chelsea game with, with the Gerrard slip, but it was actually this game that was the final nail in the coffin. Um, and I thought yeah, it was kind of point. almost the poetry of football and, and sort of that scripting that we were talking about, that the Liverpool have then got scored against by Dwight Gale, and that was sort of the end of their dreams. Whereas in this game, they got scored against by Dwight Gale, and not only did they reply with three goals of their own, but they did it as champions. And, and they, they did it at the, won, yeah. you know, at the end of a season that is like one of the greatest years in their club's history. Yeah, it feels fitting, doesn't it? It feels like it really a, does. You know, a nice, nice close of the door for them as a game. Yeah, I actually, um, you say it was an easy game for them. Um, I actually saw. I thought Newcastle were going to provide more of a an, an opposition for them than they did over the ninety minutes. I thought that they were. I thought they could score early, and I thought that they might win the game. Um, but Liverpool did settle into their stride, and it's easy mm. to kind of bring in six new players and then just lose all momentum and um, end up with quite an, an unsatisfactory result. But Minamino looks really exciting. Um, Curtis Jones, a great player in midfield. Um, yeah, it was a nice day for them. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, we, we might not see so much of those players outside of maybe like the League Cup, just because, I mean, if you're someone like Neko Williams, you're not really going to get in the head of, of at Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, ever. But... Um, sure. Well, you know, it's, it's good to have that option Minamino in the back pocket. Starting, you know, like Champions League group matches, for example, group stage matches. Um, yeah, it's, it's very possible. It's always good to have that option in the back pocket. Um, you sure. know, a, so so it just helps your squad. Um, and then City Norwich, um, which just, I mean, speaking of no one being scared of Norwich, this just this went the way that everyone would expect. Um, you know, the free scoring side just pulling no punches in the depth of their personal records. Um, oh, absolutely. City are not a team that will hold back. Yeah, no, and they and they didn't. And Kevin De Bruyne did get his twentieth Premier League assist, so he sure now did. holds the record in tandem with Thierry Henry. And City, uh, with these five goals, scored uh, over a hundred goals in a, in a Premier League campaign for the third time. Which and they're surely the only club to have done that. Uh, do it three times, yep. And they're also the only club to do it and not win the league, which was, of course, this season. Yeah. Um. It was also, uh, despite the euphoria of winning, a bit of a sad game, I think, for City and I think football fans at large because it was David Silva's last game for the club and, and in all likelihood his last game in the Premier League. Um, it it but was I think bittersweet. No matter who you support and, and what you think about City, someone like David Silva, firstly, he just seems like a fairly wholesome guy, but also just players like that. If you're a football fan, it's just enjoyable to watch them. You'll oh, you'll switch yeah. on a City game and Absolutely. just a player like that existing in the league, just it, it enriches the, the viewing process for all of us. Yeah, he's he's been a cut above for, for 10 years. Um, 10 years yeah. and, and, you know, some would say that he's City's best ever player, um, which given that he has been doing for 10 years, I think he's in with a shout for. I would agree with that. I think it's, it's a toss-up between him and Sergio Guerra. Hmm. Um, but David Silva has been a consistent performer um, throughout, and he's never had any uh, scandals. He's always 
as you said, kind of seemed like a, a good guy. And definitely his comments was the end, and like in, in press conferences at the end were incredibly wholesome. And yeah, all the best. Seemed, to seemed like I'm a guy. Um, for the uh, City and Liverpool games, what might you have had? What might I have had? Uh, City Norwich. I predicted four one. I thought Norwich were going to get a go- consolation goal as they, <laughs> as the si- uh, the ship sank. Um, I predicted four uh, one. Oh, sorry, sorry, four 0 Sorry, so I'll, I'll take the point there. Yeah, and Newcastle Liverpool. Yeah. I went for two 0 Liverpool. Do you know what? Actually, that was the game that we were just like, randomly deciding to change. The... <laughs> well, we started with the West Ham Villa one, but some of these are going to be interesting, and maybe like people will be irritated as a result. There's one that's coming up that I am. Um, Newcastle Liverpool. I went for two 0 Liverpool. I had two one to Newcastle. Huh? <laughs> ah, so close, so close, and yet so far. So I think that's a draw, right? Uh, if you had two one to Newcastle and I had two nil, uh, and it was three one to one point. Or... No, because you're you're one goal away and two. Oh no, no, it is. Yeah, maths is not good in my head. Um. So just to, now, now that we've settled those scores, um, with Liverpool and City, um, do you think we can expect a more competitive title race next season? Are Liverpool going to have less drive now that they've sort of won it, like they sort of seem to at the end of the season, or are they going to be rolling along with confidence and sort of now that they've won the Champions League and the Premier League back to back, are they going to be sort of hoping to build a bit of a dynasty that we saw with like Man United, for example, or or maybe City in recent years? I think that it it's dynasty time. Jurgen Klopp seems to be in for the long run. You know, he he says all the right things he meets the fans at the pub after the game I think he's there for good um, I think Sam Allardyce has turned up in pubs with fans of the teams that he's managed but I don't know if that means he's going to have like a Premier yeah, League dominance two different types of player managers no it's true but do you know what I mean it feels like he's invested it feels like he yeah. has to stay there um, it does feel like it um, and I think if they can keep it up they'll be a really scary side and they, they may well go and just stack up historic results um but but City, I mean, the thing I wonder with City because City, you almost feel like a guaranteed to spend mega millions in the summer. But you kind of wonder if it's going to be enough to close the gap because their issue hasn't really been to do with quality. Like the quality of Aguero or Sterling or, or De Bruyne or Silva hasn't declined this season, but it's just been like consistency. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the one player that like they're really going to miss is um, Fernandinho, uh, just as he. Is he still at the club? Um, he's still at present, yeah. A mental block. But he's he's just he's thirty four now, thirty five. He's getting um, up there, yeah. And he has been he was their most important player two years ago. Yeah, no, you could definitely see the difference when he didn't play in games versus when he was there. They were just had absolutely no for, uh, shape when when he wasn't on the pitch. Yeah, so and I think like, you that's know, even the, the been classic, somewhat like, this season. Claude Makaleli engine of Real Madrid. Like Fernandinho was yeah. was the heart and soul of that team. Rodri's a good player, but he's not the same. He's not worked out the way they thought he would. And even this season for Fernandinho, and a little bit last season, although of course they did win, they've had to play him as a centre-back sometimes, as like an auxiliary centre-back. And when they have done that, I mean, I think he's very clearly not a centre-back, he's a defensive midfielder, but even when he's tried his best, like they've lost out on having him in that midfield role. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, I, I think you'd hope that City would make some like some quiet signings, just some really mm-hmm. good reinforcing squad depth signings, um, and then you know that that at least to me would signal that like 
you know they're in balance as a, as a, as a team as a club as an outfit um, yeah there's a question mark yeah for me okay. well I guess I guess we'll see it's, it's pretty exciting um, that's the thing yeah I think we'll see um, moving down the table um, to the other the other you know, top teams um, we had two really really big games in terms of European qualification um, sure did those being Chelsea and Wolves battling for their respective goals and Leicester facing off with United in direct competition for the final Champions League spot. Yeah, just a great way to end the season as well with just these four teams battling it out all uh, kind of um, in amongst it. Yeah, exactly. All hoping for their own sort of personal glory at the the expense of someone else. Um, And starting off with Chelsea Wolves, I mean... You know, dispatching Wolves this season has been no easy task. They're one of the most rigorously drilled sides to take the pitch, and they kind of make games difficult for every opponent they face. But Chelsea, two quick fired goals, the stroke of half time, broke them down. They sure did. I think um, question marks over the the free kick for the first goal, whether or not that was a foul. But credit to Mason Mount, he's a great young talent, and yeah, and takes those knows, opportunities. He knows how to hit a free kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I think Wolves didn't ever really look like they were going to win the game. It's funny because Wolves, uh, you know, who have just been beaten by Chelsea, will probably be hoping for Chelsea to win again in their next game in, in the FA Cup final. Because uh, as seventh place, if Chelsea win the FA Cup final, um, then they get to, to qualify. Then, then Wolves will qualify for the Europa League. Although it is questionable whether they'll want that or not. I mean, we discussed with Sheffield, and I think them that you know maybe their campaign next season will run a little more smoothly if they're able to focus only on domestic exploits. I don't know. I think I think Wolves have a big appetite. I think we've mm. seen that. I think they want it all. Um, you know, if you're signing Ruben Neves and you're in the Championship, like you want to go places. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to sit around, you know, twiddling your thumbs in mediocrity. Um, and they have got, they have gone for that. So yeah, maybe they will be hoping to to take on um, the Europa League and, and see how far they can go. Well, it's kind of I think that a team like this compared to a team like Sheffield, Sheffield have performed like massively above probably even their own expectations. Um, oh, for they, sure. They they will have been hoping for ten to fifteenth position. Um, They've been hoping to stay to up, just, probably. Just, yeah, exactly. Whereas Wolves, it's always a calculated risk when you invest a lot because it's either going to pay off from your results and you're going to be able to get into a good league position, get into Europe and start doing well, or you're not going to be able to find consistency and find form with that group of players and you're going to have invested a lot of money in something that isn't that doesn't work out in the time frame that it needs to. Um, yeah. So I think that I think the Wolves have taken a gamble already in putting as much money as they have into the team, and they need and to. So they've got to get the payout. I think. Yeah, no, like that's a, like a shark that needs to keep keep swimming. Keep to swimming stay alive. To, to live. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that, I, that's I, very true. I think they'll be hoping and praying that Chelsea can win. Um, speaking of Chelsea, um, they have weathered a season of no imports outside of um, Christian Pulisic, who was obviously pre-agreed, as well as the loss of Eden Hazard to finish fourth place. Which, pretty good season for them. I mean, yeah, Frank Lampard. I'm sure a lot of um, Chelsea fans will be ready to give him the key to the to Fulham and um, the lifetime contract because they have. I don't think anyone was expecting them to do as well as they did. I think there's um, an interview with Jamie Redknapp surfacing where he says like, if anyone's expecting Chelsea to 
to be in the top four this season. Your dream. Um, and I think, well, dreams come true sometimes. Well, exactly. I mean, it's kind of felt at times like a little bit of a pipe dream in that, you know, Chelsea have threatened to have young players coming through, exciting talents, um, and it's, it's never quite materialised for them. And definitely at times you wondered if the bubble had burst, um, but they stayed in the top four all the way from, I think, October to the end of the season. And despite a couple of shaky performances and a few lapses in form, they have done really well, especially yeah. considering the fact that they haven't had the opportunity to sign players and they lost their best player. Um, yeah. As we talked about with Man U, obviously, you know, they are 10 points off, off the race compared to last season's top four. But they should be really proud of their season. I think so. I, I think, yeah, they've, they've, they've had um, a season they can be proud of, given the circumstances. But moving into um, United and Leicester, um, a game here which was sort of just, it, it, it was just the difference between the side that have pushed on and been the form side since the restart and the side that have, you know, not quite Crystal Palace level, but have been dropping points like it's been going out of fashion. They have, and, and it had not yet gone out of fashion at uh, the King Power Stadium. Um, it actually hadn't. I, I read an, an interesting thing actually earlier this week that, um, of course, we all remember, and I think we mentioned last episode, the 9-0 that Leicester had against uh, Southampton uh, earlier yeah. in the year. And since that result, Southampton have actually picked up more points in the league than Leicester. Wow. It doesn't surprise me. 42 for Leicester and 44 for Southampton. I mean, Leicester flew flew very close to the sun. Like They were mm. absolutely rocking. And it's no surprise that they weren't able to maintain that level of form because, I mean, they were pushing the, the top two. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think... I think there was a point, yeah, when they were they were maybe second this campaign or maybe that was last campaign, but certainly a point when they sort of leapfrogged uh, in the last two seasons where they were actually, albeit briefly, second place. Yeah, I think, um, for me, this game and this battle between Leicester and United was kind of one team taking up the position that is, is expected of them and finally kind mm. of achieving top four and, and more stability um, and the other team kind of coming back down to earth. Do you think maybe that United uh, have been a little bit lucky this season in terms of penalties? I mean, I think the penalty this game was probably a fair penalty f- for me. I think Martial got crunched between Evans and Morgan despite the fact Evans got the ball, but this was their 14th penalty of the season, which is a Premier League record. It's a lot. Um, I mean, the only thing that I would say to that is like they have played the whole season without a big bulky striker, mm-hmm. and you know, if if it's like three skinny lads all with really quick feet nipping in and around the box, I'm not surprised. That's a good point. A, a tackle, or or not even necessarily a tackle, but like getting body checked is something that you, Lukaku would just shrug off because he was about like 280 pounds of pure muscle. Whereas, um, you know, Martial or Rashford or Greenwood, um, you know, are, are a little bit it's more subtle to be knocked this, over. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that being said, I mean, you know, the, the tale of um, man, like the, the romance between Manchester United and, and Premier League referees is, is one as old as time. Um, story, as old uh, as the Premier League itself. One. 
and then of course, um, so that, that that was how they sort of went one up. But then they went two up from a really weird goal for a lot of reasons. Firstly, it was a Casper Schmeichel blunder, which, as you sort of detailed a couple of episodes ago, we don't really see very often. And the second was that it was scored by Jesse Lingard. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I mean Jesse Lingard has that was his first goal involvement this season, which is actually quite funny because I saw a betting slip doing the round last week. And it was of a yeah. fella who had put 10 quid on Jesse Lingard to record no goals or no assists this season. And Lingard scored with quite literally the last kick of the season. Which is heartbreaking for him. But actually, um, I don't know if you saw, but Paddy Power paid out the bet in the end. Oh, did they? They did, yeah. And he, um, I think he won like 135 quid and donated it to Black Lives Matter. So a nice oh, little... Nice. So they did. They they did find him to give him the money. Because I was going to say like they could have like made that decision and then tried to contact him, but he's swinging from somewhere from rafters somewhere <laughs> for a hundred quid. Not even for the hundred quid, but you you you'd feel like, like some sort of cosmic entity. You'd feel like some sort of cosmic entity was conspiring against you at that point. Oh, it, it's a, it's a karma slap in the face. Like you got to wonder, like what did you do? You know, you're you're, you're you golden until the final kick of the season. I mean, you hate to see it. You really do, especially when really it's like that. Um, I just, I, I love the idea that like that was Lingard's sole motivation for like <laughs> pushing himself towards the end of the game, like charging down the goalkeeper. He was like, I'm gonna ruin this guy's day because like screw it, that it's guy. It's not, it's not impossible that he saw that tweet with, right? with the guy's betting slip. I wouldn't be surprised. That's that's all I'll say, Cam. All I'll say is it could have happened. Well, United managed with this result to climb to third place in automatic Champions League qualification, whereas Leicester, unfortunately, will be playing Europa football this season, which, given where they started in the table post-lockdown, I think it was five points clear of of fourth place, bit of a bottling from the Foxes. But, speaking of Europa qualification, the other side that did just about enough to ensure their place in the tournament was Spurs, who became the first side in eight games not to take all three points from the Eagles. Yeah, um, and and that that's a probably a good place to start. Uh, we're talking about Spurs, is that they have not always taken their chances, um, and, and that they have fairly consistently underperformed uh, since the restart. Um, but they've managed to get and, and and I would say over the course of this season, I mean, we've already discussed why we think Ericsson has been an issue, and you know, Harry Kane has scored five goals in the last three games, which is you know good scoring record. He's got back to it, but that leaves him on eighteen league goals. Which, by his standards, is you know it's not it's not terrible, but it's nowhere near what he nor he normally is sort of thinking about getting thirty. Oh yeah, I think anything under kind of twenty two, twenty three is like he'll be personally disappointed himself. Um, do you think and- that with Spurs? Do you think that given their performance last season, and I would say to a degree of the last few seasons they seem to have been getting better, but given their performance over those seasons, would you say that this campaign is underwhelming, or were those seasons a bit of an anomaly, and this is more Spurs' usual level? It's hard to say because I think that all depends on their key players. Um, firstly, Ericsson's gone and he was really, really important to them. Um, and the other player that I want to flag is Deli Alley, um, mm-hmm. who has had some moments of brilliance. His um, first two and, seasons, he he was on fire, yeah. Exactly. And, and he's just become a player now that you worry is never going to be the player that he threatened to become. I suppose it's always difficult with, with injury and things of that nature, but yeah, even when he's had a bit of a run in the last year or two, he hasn't quite looked like he's been kicking on. Um, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, kind of 
it kind of feels like Tottenham in miniature in that Tottenham have threatened to become a really exciting, potent, vibrant side that um, you know, plays some some interesting like Beelzebub tactics. Um, mm. and it's like yeah, it kind of feels like the sheen is gone. It was quite comical, I've got to say, watching Mourinho sort of wildly celebrate a 1-1 draw with Palace ensuring Europa League qualification as, like, a guy who's won three Champions Leagues. How the mighty are fallen. How the mighty indeed. Um, For those European qualification games, what did you have? So, Chelsea Wolves, I predicted 2-1 to Wolves. Sorry, to Chelsea, sorry. Yeah, I also did, and then reversed it, because we were the same. So you take the points there, because I went two on Wolves. Glory. Well, that makes up for the point that you gained for, uh, what was it, the other one? Um, Man City, Norwich. Yeah. And Leicester United? Leicester United, I had 2-1 United. I had 3-1 United, so that is point to you. Ah, look at It seems like we won't be having the final day of the season after all. Um, you don't know that camp. You don't unless you don't unless that. unless I pull it back with these last two games, I could get it, both right. It only takes one three pointer. Exactly, and of course that's, those that's last the two games. Of the, not the, the system, yeah. Really and of course them. those last two games, um, Southampton three one Sheffield. Um, so I, I feel like with Sheffield, maybe they sort of started to relax a little bit. They, much like Wolves, have been a really sort of difficult side to break down, but conceded three goals to Southampton here, who Danny Ings has been on fire, and you wouldn't put anything past him scoring a goal, but Che Adams scored a brace, and that's just It's, it's a rare brace. He's had, sure? he's had four goals this season, so score half of them against... Say that, uh, though, South- three of them have been Sheffield in the on. last, like, three weeks. Yeah, so maybe it's taken him time, but, like, he's had he's played 30 league games this season, so four goals and 30... That's not that's, exactly that's prolific. That's bad. <laughs> But um, but South, you know, Sheffield. I, I feel like they're going to be pretty happy. It's their club record Premier League finish ninth. Um, They've done you, great, I think. Yeah, the, you can't the really have, have any word with them for that. They had a nice yeah. season. They had a nice time. Yeah, they lost and Danny one. Ings, of course, scoring a penalty here to finish one goal short of the Golden Boot, which is a little agonising. He can still be very proud of that being one short. And you know, maybe we'll kick on now to the next, um, the next big things. Uh, and then finally, wrapping up our game week was Burnley one, Brighton two. Yeah, which is another rogue one, another weird one that I I personally did not see coming. Um, no, Brighton no, you you, had you... A bad bad old time in the last few game weeks. Um, yeah, they've not they've not been an exciting side, and Burnley have been like a little bit more able to to shut out even some of the better sides. So Brighton, you would think maybe not, but. I think Brighton can take solace in um, one thing, certainly, which is some of their young players. I think Aaron Connolly um, could be one to keep an eye on. He's been a bit part player for the uh, sort of earlier parts of the season, but he's, as he's been more trusted with regular starts, he's seemed to take them on. Um, yeah, you're right. He's not. He's not. He's not someone that has jumped out at all times of the season as like one of the more dynamic players to to be excited about. But you're absolutely right. He he's really grown into his boots this season. Well, just, just from a personal perspective, I mean, I saw him play a fair bit in the, in the Premier League 2 last season, um, and yeah. he was one of the star performers uh, for a Brighton under-23 side that finished the season third place behind um, Everton and Arsenal. Uh, so Brighton sort of really overperformed that season. Everyone was sort of, wow, wow, who are these young kids? Um, and, you know, Aaron Connolly is one. Obviously, Tariq Lamptey, who didn't come through Brighton, but at Chelsea is another one that they can be really excited about. And I think... Yeah. 
sometimes the, the transition from you know Premier League two football to men's football can be really difficult. But these two seem like they've maybe established a good base this season to build on for the next. Definitely, and and they've got they've got some other you know good established players um, in the likes of like Pascal Gross um, and Aaron Moy. Mm. Yeah. And of course, the one goal for Burnley was scored by Chris Wood, which has now taken his height for the season to a whopping six foot eight. He's had a tall season. Um, he's had a tall season indeed. No one that. can say he's had a short season. <laughs> um, what did you have for those two games? Big man with some big goals. Um, for those two games, I had 1-1 Southampton-Sheffield. As did I. That, that was always going to end that way. And then, uh, although, except it, um, no, sorry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, us predicting was always going to end up saying one-one. Um, and then Burnley Brighton. I had one-nil Burnley. As I did I again. Be a scrappy, hard for turf more special, a little Sunday uh, chefs treat. But no, no, not at all. So that is our final results. Uh, can you round up your your points and see what you got? Yeah, just to check, did we do um, Crystal Palace Tottenham? Did we check that one? Uh, did we? Oh, uh, maybe not. I said 2-0 Spurs. I said I changed it to 1-0 um, because just we both. had the same result. Uh-huh. So a win, a win for you there. What do But I think has unfortunately meant that the uh, FA Cup final prediction is not going to to make much difference. Uh, I have ended with a whopping three points yet again. Yeah, I've got six. Uh, Absolutely not out. I try my best. For the the listeners, um, we decided to flip a coin uh, in the time old tradition of what do you do if if it's a draw? All of the fail statistics that you're you're measuring. um, You know, most leagues have five. We only had two. That's fine. <laughs> Irrelevant. We don't need to talk about it. Um, I won the toss. Decided the to toss. forfeit my my point. But, you know, there's only so well, much I can do for you, Cam. Fortune has smiled on you for that good sportsmanship uh, and meant that all I can do is battle for a consolation goal with our prediction for the FA Cup final. Well, I guess you, you've just got to hope, Cam, that, you know, getting to talk to me week in, week out about all the football will rub off at some point. <laughs> so, Chelsea and Arsenal in the FA Cup final. Uh, who do you see winning that game and what do you think the margin will be? Oh, we're doing it now. Um, yeah, just, just I don't want to go into it too much because we're quite a bit over time, but just just give me a score prediction and we can uh, discuss it next episode. Score prediction, 2-1 Chelsea. Done. Interesting, interesting. I was going to go for a similar scoreline. I think Chelsea will win this game. However, uh, in the interest of being, making it a little more interesting and going for the other the other side, I'm going to say that Arsenal will do what they always do in the FA Cup and um, finally pull themselves together, winning this final 3-2. 3-2? Wow, okay. Well, I, in the interest of being fair, I'll change mine to 2 all then. Just so that neither of us got the, got the, the result that we wanted. <laughs> I can't end 2 all. Oh, are we not doing? Oh, I was doing like an end of ninety minutes. Okay, fair if enough. you want, I'll stick. I'll stick with two one. I'll stick with two. All right, two, two one to Chelsea, and I go on three two for Arsenal. Um, 
Next episode, we will, of course, be discussing the FA Cup final and doing a little bit of a preview once the playoff games have been finished on the championship teams that we can expect next season in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, lots of people are excited, particularly about Leeds, but also a lot of other exciting potential contenders to come up. Um, sure Rupert, are. great to talk to you as always. Cam, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in, soon. and we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Three, two, one, stop. Stop. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.